Welcome to Belleville First Church Nazarene. Please stand and worship with us this morning. Good morning, Belleville First. Good morning. It's nice to see you this morning. And if you're worshiping with us online, it's nice to have you with us also this morning. A few announcements uh, for us before we uh, continue in our worship service. Our prayer and Bible study Tuesday evening will occur at 6.30, as it has for the last several weeks. That will be online only again this, this week. So uh, Bible study and prayer by, by Zoom again. Uh, we are wrapping up the collection of the gift cards for Restore Network for their Christmas gift card uh, event that we've, uh, we appreciate everyone's uh, help with that. And I got a report from Tricia this morning that it sounds like we only need about three or four more. So we are real close. So thank you everyone for your, for your help with that. So now it's one or two left. So, so uh, thank you, everyone, for your efforts uh, in that, uh, with your help with Restore. We will have a Christmas Eve service again this uh, Christmas season, as we has become a tradition here at Belleville First for many years now, and that will occur at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Uh, so we encourage you to join us for that service as well. And uh, at the, toward the end of the service, as also a tradition here at Belleville First, we will participate in communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper. And Pastor David Samanoa will be uh, helping us and administering the, uh, uh, the sacrament of communion uh, for us uh, w this morning. Uh, and we all know Pastor David. And uh, last thing I wanted to announce before we move into our Advent reading, as all of you know, for the past six months or so, the church board has been uh, working uh, with our district superintendent, Pastor Terry Armstrong, on our pastoral search. 
want to bring you up to, to date on that pastoral uh, search. We received a number of resumes over the past six months and have had uh, discussions with, I would say, at least six potential candidates. Well, uh, on behalf of the church board, I'm really excited this morning to report to you that after much prayer, after thought, discussion, interviews, checking references, our church board has unanimously voted and is nominating to the church a pastoral candidate for BFCN. Amen? Before we make that call uh, formal uh, to that, the candidate, we, we are required to have a special meeting and then a vote by the church congregation. Uh, that is also required. That special meeting and vote will be held on Sunday, December 20th. So I'll cover a little bit more about that vote. But uh, since we are streaming the service live uh, by way of the World Wide Web, I will not be sharing with you the name of that, of that pastoral candidate. Uh, however, this afternoon, Karen, our church administrator, will be sending an email to BFC and friends and members with more specific information about our candidate. Now, I hope you all know and, and, and appreciate how important it is that we all keep this information regarding the candidate as, uh, at utmost confidentiality as that person is still serving in a, a church somewhere else. So I trust that you all understand that and appreciate it and will uphold the confidentiality uh, when that email goes out, okay? Uh, now, the process of calling a pastor to a local church per the church manual uh, includes a, a, few, a few steps. And uh, the pastor can only be called to a local church with a two-thirds favorable vote by ballot of the church members uh, of voting age present and voting uh, at a, a properly called annual or special meeting of the church. So we're required to give two notices, one being today, and then I'll announce it again next Sunday, of the upcoming special meeting and vote, which will occur on the 20th. Um, so I'll be announcing that special meeting again next week. All individuals who are full and active members and have reached their 15th birthday shall be entitled to vote, and voting is required to be in person. Uh, so again, that will be on the 20th. We will hold the special meeting and vote. We will uh, hold the, the vote right after the morning worship service on the 20th. And for those who are not comfortable uh, attending the service in person but would like to vote, we will hold the poll open until around 1 o'clock uh, that day so that if you would like to come vote after everyone has has vacated the, the, the property and the, the premises that you can come vote and cast your vote. Now, before you all vote on a pastoral candidate, you would probably like to know a little bit about that person, would you not? <laughs> Who they are and get to meet them. So we are planning, a week from today, we are planning a, kind of a meet and greet with the candidate and their family so that will be next Sunday, this coming Sunday, the 13th, right after the morning worship service. Now, that meet and greet will not be uh, simulcast or will not be broadcast either. Uh, so it will occur here at Belleville First. So I would encourage you to, to uh, be in attendance if you're, if you're able next Sunday to meet the candidate. And we'll have kind of a question-answer time with the candidate, and uh, there will be additional instructions in the email that, that, that comes out this afternoon. If, however, you are uncomfortable in meeting in person uh, for that meet and greet, we'll also be sending out a Zoom link for our, our, our members uh, here at Belleville First so you can participate in that meeting virtually. So um, I'm excited about the days ahead for Belleville First. Uh, so we... We do have a candidate that we'll be bringing forward, and an email will be forthcoming this afternoon, giving you more information about who that candidate is. So, um, aren't you excited about the days ahead for Belleville First? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in our worship this morning, 
Gary and Jan Schladoff and their three grandchildren, Amelia, Oliver, and Eleanor, will be providing the Advent reading on video overhead. The followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must not only have peace, but make it. And to that they renounce all violence and tumult. In the cause of Christ, nothing is to be gained such methods. His kingdom is one of peace, and the mutual greetings of his flock is a greeting of peace. His disciples keep the peace by choosing to endure the sufferings themselves rather than inflict it on others. They renounce all self-assertion and quietly suffer in the face of hatred and wrong. In so doing, they overcome evil with good and establish the peace of God in the midst of a world full of war and hate. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Let's pray together and then we will have our responsive reading for this week. Lord, we come to you this second Sunday of Advent, and we know that around the world, Christian congregations are focusing on the concept of peace and the announcement that was made that you are bringing to peace the people of, of goodwill. So, Father, open our hearts, open our minds, and... May we be led by your spirit to see and then to do peace. We thank you for the good news. So our search committee, the board slash search committee is brought to us and may it be an element of our moving towards peace if we can reconcile this search for a pastor. And now, Father, May we move towards peace as we sing, as we consider your scripture, as we consider the challenge that we have to be your children in this world today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read everything. You guys are going to have to help me because they're, they're not hearing us out there on the part that is for the congregation. So um, when you see that section that says all, uh, we're all going to read it together, all right? So let us have our reading on peace. The second week of Advent is a prayer for peace and a world deeply divided Christ, Christ is, is our, our peace. peace. He, he breaks down, down every dividing wall. In a world filled with hostility and hatred, Christ, Christ is our peace. He teaches us to love our enemies. In a world of war where violence never ends, Christ, Christ is our peace. He invites us to take up our cross and follow him. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's Spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and a little child will lead them. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. Let earth receive her king. 
please stand and continue worshiping with us this morning. One, two, three, four. Ready? All right. All right. Shut off the phone there. All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you. All right. One, two, three, four. time of prayer, and I invite each of you to join with me in praying at this time. We have many things to bring before the Lord this day, so I encourage you, listen with one ear, but speak your, from your heart to the Lord as we pray. Join me. Father, we come this day humbled by the fact that you have made us your children. You have allowed us to gather like this to, to make our appreciation and love known to you. And amazingly, Lord, we can gather and not just be in this room. And we know that whether we're joined by technology or not, that we are joined by your spirit with millions of followers of Jesus praying to you on this day. So make us aware that we are a part of your family. Also, Lord, help us to know that as any good father, you have expectations for us.
We have expectations of how we are to live with each other, how we're to live with those outside, and how we are to live with you. May your spirit nudge us, push us in the directions that we need to do and go. So this day, Lord, we recognize suffering in our family and in our world. We recognize loss. Even death has visited many in the last day, let alone this last week. So as the people in this room name those for whom their heart goes out in response to your expectation that we name them and bring our request before you. We pray, Lord, for the many aspects of healing that the people in our world need. And we know, Father, that can come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and continue worshiping with us this morning. Advent's always timely. I mean, last week we considered hope, and if you've been following in the readings, you've been reading about hope all week. Timely because we live amongst so many that have little or, or they don't think any hope. 
isn't the topic of peace timely? Don't we live in a world? Don't we live in families? Where peace would be welcomed. Well, the reading for today from Second Peter, open your Bibles or your whatever you use to read the scripture, to Second Peter the third chapter. This reading, reading I confess to you, is a, a bit of a stump, and it's always a good discipline for somebody who is going to preach to have to take a passage and work through it, pray through it, see what others have said about it, and to try to come to the point of seeing what the Lord wants you to hear about it. So 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 15. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Hope. If you mark in your Bibles, and you should, you should identify that as a statement of hope. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in, in leading lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. You might want to mark that one too. Therefore, because of everything we've said so far, therefore, beloved, <coughs> while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then he starts on... Paul wrote that, and we, that gets us in a new topic. I, you, you don't want to stay here two hours, do you? So we'll just stop reading right there. We're here today because the Lord is patient. Plain and simple. You and I have life today because the Lord is patient. Plain and simple. Peter makes that crystal clear. There is no doubt that the Lord is holding off on the full initiation of the kingdom so that none of us would miss an opportunity to be in a place where righteousness is at home. Of the contrast we need to make today to understand what godly peace is, you need to come to terms with that, that we live in a world in which righteousness is not at home. If it was, then there would be no reason for a new heaven and a new earth. That's the logic of this passage. But Peter assumes that as followers of Jesus, we are not only, that we're actively waiting not passively waiting, but that we're actively waiting for this day of the Lord and the initiation of the full kingdom. 
And so here we are in the second Sunday of Advent. When we are being told by Peter to be practice, to practice active peace. Strive, strive. Strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish. It's active. It isn't passive. And so the, the second Sunday of Advent is a Sunday in which we are called to action. That we must contend for the peace that is needed in the world. Because, you see, you and I, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but as a follower of Jesus, you are already a recipient of the kingdom and its attributes and its characteristics. And we are expected in our relationships, especially with each other, but even in our relationships with non-believers, to be demonstrating the kingdom of God actively. And so we can't fall back on the excuse that, this, that righteousness isn't welcome here. And so therefore our actions aren't welcome here because you and I worship a God who sent his son to die on a cross. Think about that. Think about the logic of, of us wanting to live a life in which we don't suffer because righteousness isn't home here when we follow Jesus and he died because of that fact. Well, Peter links righteousness and peace. You can't have peace without righteousness. And we kind of know what righteousness is. We talk about it a lot. It's being in these right relationships and being in, in, in a right place with with God and with others, but peace. Most of the time, we just think of peace as the absence of conflict. Well, I'm going to give you a little language lesson here today. Irene is the Greek word that's translated here as peace. And outside of Scripture, that's exactly what it means, the absence of conflict. But about 300 years before Jesus, 70 Jewish scholars got together and they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And the word that is used in the Old Testament to designate the condition that God intends, intended for, for his creation and, and in which he is moving his creation towards is shalom. And it's often translated peace but many times it's translated wholeness or well-being. It, 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 it's a word that can't be easily put in a box. As you would expect if that's what God's intention for us was. I mean, who would want... I, I, God's got, I, I mean, my, my mind just tells me God's got to have more than, in mind for us than we can just easily put our arms around. So I, I don't have any problem with not being able to, to grasp shalom. Well, now, Irene was used to translate shalom almost always. Not, not entirely, but the vast majority of the times. And it became in use with, with Jewish population to be identical. It was not used in the normal Greek way to just be the absence of conflict. It is the the purpose of God for us. So when we come to this second Sunday, we have to deal and we have to grapple with the facts of God's purpose for us. And what, what, what does it take for peace to be here? And what does it mean that we live in a world where peace is not, well, or is not any more welcome than righteousness? So he tells his original readers, strive for peace, and he tells us, by extension, the same thing. 
Why is it? Why is it that peace and righteousness aren't welcomed? Sin. Sin. You know about sin, don't you? You've heard people like me talk about it enough. But that isn't the real way you know about sin. You know about sin because of personal experience. The sins you've committed are the sins that others have committed that have harmed you or people that you love. By the premise that we're working on today, sin is the opposite of striving for peace. Because if, if my logic that I'm presenting to you is correct, striving for peace is striving for the objective of which God intends his world to live what he's going to bring back in, in a new heaven and a new earth, what he intended in, in the original creation, that that's what we're striving for. And when we're not striving for that, that's sin. And you've been told that there are sins of commission and sins of omission. So you do stuff that makes it less likely that God's purposes will, will arrive, both in your personal life and in the life of your community and your family, or you fail to do stuff, which means that it's more likely that if you did it, that God's purpose would be accomplished. That's sin. Is there an antidote for sin? You're waiting for an answer? Of course there's an antidote for sin. It is the grace of God extended to those who confess their sins and repent of their sins and commit themselves to a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's an antidote for it. But that isn't the only evidence that, that righteousness and peace aren't welcome here. There's also illness. I grew up when this theology, and it's a bad theology, but it was a theology in which people wondered if illness wasn't a punishment. And sometimes it is. Sometimes illness is a punishment because people are just stupid. I'm sorry, is that shocking to you? And we get sick because we either do or don't do something that we know we shouldn't do or not do. But sometimes we just get sick. But either way, I mean, even stupid people should be healed if that's possible, don't you think? And maybe even from, I shouldn't say them, and maybe from our own stupidity, we should be healed sometimes. Not just the consequence. But we also need healing from things that come to us from our culture. Not just our body, but our spirits and our minds and our, and our emotions. How many tens of thousands of people are dealing with anxiety today because of the things that are going on that they have good reason to be anxious about? But their anxiety level has increased. That is a destruction of peace. And it needs to be healed. But the worst, the worst thing that goes against God's purpose is death. How many times in the New Testament have you read when the writer was championing the victory of Jesus Christ that he had defeated death?
It's no surprise to you that I'm old. And those of you who have reached similar points in your life know that whether we want to or not, death is becoming a topic. Brenda and I are refinancing our house. Just about got this thing done because we need to put a new roof on it. My, my, or I need to get ready to put a new roof on it. And why do I need to do that? Because I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. I, and then all of a sudden, when I was you know, thinking about this one day, I realized what I'm really thinking about is, because I hadn't thought about it this way, my own death. That there are things now that I have to think about doing that I never thought about doing when I was younger. That's not to say I wouldn't put a new roof on my house if I needed one when I was younger. I just would have not thought about it so that my kids wouldn't have to deal with it. Jesus has defeated death. And even though I think about my death, it is not the end of my life or a defeat for my living. It is a biological occurrence in a fallen world where righteousness is not welcome. And Jesus, by his own death, by his own resurrection, by his own ascension, has made it possible for me and for you to live with our feet in a world where we're going to die and in a world where we're not going to die. And that's the way we should live right now. And so I'm not anxious to leave uh, you guys and my family. And, and I mean, we keep getting these grandkids. You know, they just keep showing up. Yeah, I don't, I have an idea how they get here. So don't, don't question that. I'm not always certain, but I have an idea. They just keep showing up. And, and, and they're cute. They're a whole lot more fun than our first bunch of kids were. And I can always send them home. Don't want to very often, but you can. But I'm not going to see some of those kids graduate from high school, most likely. <laughs> and if I do, I might, I might not even be aware of what's going on. That's the kind of world we live in. A world where some of us don't have to fear death. Except, depending on which statistic source you get, it's very likely that today we will pass 290,000 Americans that have died from COVID-19. My generation wondered what had happened when the, what was it, 56,000 Americans that died in Vietnam, what they, that, that it should have been more meaningful, that it should have accomplished us something. That it, you know, and yes, they served our country and we honor that service, but from a policy point of view and a foreign, um, foreign policy perspective, we didn't get Back the investment that they made for us, not like what occurred in, in World War II or the investment we had a right to ask. What are we going to get out of 290,000 and counting Americans dying in this war? Well, we'll get a vaccine and eventually this thing may go away. But I suggest to you, if we don't take a hard look at ourselves, if we don't look at, at some of the reasons that we allowed more people to die yesterday than have died in Japan in the entire time of their pandemic, and one day's death, and ask why, and try to figure out 
how that this doesn't happen again. Because I can tell you, as somebody who's lived on a continent where, where these types of things can bubble up overnight, there will be more pandemics. So why didn't we, were we prepared to do this? Why didn't we take the steps? And I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about us. What is there in our nature? And I can tell you what it is. We live in a world where righteousness is not welcome. Because righteousness would have meant that I would make decisions on behalf of other people. And that's clearly not what has happened. But we should also notice that this virus has changed. The, the, the trajectory of our, of our society. There's a debate going on about what that means. Does it mean we're kind of at a hinge point, as one author put it, where now history has changed and gone in a different direction? Not likely. Um, are we going to just go back to normal after we get a, vi a vaccine and get this all taken care of and settle down? No. Most likely, the way to begin thinking about this is that this virus has accelerated the rate of change that we have to contend with. Some, excuse me, some are projecting that we are now, because of this virus, living some aspect aspects of our society we would not have gotten to until 2030 and later. And that may be a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because we got there so fast. And I say all this to tell you that we have a responsibility to strive for peace. And that means healing. That means bringing people to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. That means helping them deal with the things that are internal, deal with their relationships with others. That's our charge. Strive for peace. And their kids aren't getting the education they need. There are people who are not getting the health that they need. The people around us are going to require us to envision new ways of doing ministry. I remember the first time it was, it got around. And now, I was a Baptist at the time, so Baptists are kind of backward. And if you're a Baptist and watching, you know it's true. The first time a church had an AA meeting in it. You would have thought, what are we doing inviting those alcoholics into God's holy house? We're better to invite alcoholics or other people that need a touch, who need to deal with sin or illness or disease that can be addressed. Where else? Well, there are going to be new ways that we have to figure that out. And you have to figure out what that is. Here's what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is how he launched his ministry in Luke chapter 4. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if we don't quickly... Identify the new ways <coughs> that impoverish people, the new ways that people are going to be blinded, the new ways that people are oppressed, then we're not going to know where to apply our striving for peace. It's worth it because where the presence of the Lord is, there is healing. A friend of mine runs a ministry in Rwanda. Um, it's called Peace Building, Healing, and Reconciliation Program. And he told me about a woman, 
you know about the, the genocide in Rwanda. And about uh, 100 days or so that upwards of 800 to 1,000 to a million Tutsis were killed. He told me about a Tutsi woman whose family had been killed. She was in shock. Her parents were killed. Some of her siblings were killed. And after several days, she went to the authorities and accused her Hutu neighbor. They sent police out. They threw him in a truck and took him off to prison where he languished for six years. This woman continued to be in turmoil because she knew it wasn't true. But in her pain, she lashed out at her neighbor, who had always treated her well. Then the Lord got a hold of her, and she gave her heart to Christ. And the first thing that came to her that she had to do, and she didn't know maybe these, these concepts, but the first thing she knew she had to do was she had to strive for peace. And she went to the authorities, and she told them that she had lied. And they said, you don't want to do this. Just let it be. But she persisted, and finally they relented, and they told her, we will process this, but it could result in you going to prison for falsely accusing your neighbor. She said, I don't care. So they finally processed the papers. They did all of that, and the day came, and he got out of prison, and he came home. And the community, as Rwandan communities typically are, are fairly tight-knit, even across ethnic lines when they're not in one of these bloodletting seasons. And everybody in the community had turned on her, even her church. They'd excluded her, set her aside. So when the gentleman came home, got out of the vehicle, that had brought him back to his village. He saw these people, they had signed, they were welcoming, they were cheering, they were singing, they were rejoicing that he was out of prison. And she stood over under a tree by herself. He talked to them for a few minutes in the crowd and he walked over to her. And he took her by the arm. And Anastas says, I didn't know what he was gonna say as he brought her back towards the group. And he pointed his finger and he said, I want you to know that from this day forward, this is my daughter. She has no parents. She is my daughter. And you will treat her as you would treat my daughter. As she had children, they came to their grandfather's house and were welcomed as grandchildren. That is the power of peace, striving for peace, because we know about a world in which righteousness is at home. And because we know about that place, because we have experienced that place, we can make righteousness more at home here than it currently is. The question is, and this is the question we're going to have to answer, and that's what Peter was referring to when he was talking about fire and things burning up and all that stuff. The question we're going to have to answer is, why don't we, why don't we do more of it? Why aren't we striving instead of just discovering? We think it's a big deal if we discover a new way to make peace. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, strive for it. I tried to think of a new club we could start or some new anagram or something that had striving in it, but I couldn't. And it sounds kind of harsh too, doesn't it? Striving. But that's the word. 
Will you join me in recommitting ourselves in this Advent to striving for peace? Because our world, we don't know what our world's going to look like in another six months. And do you realize that people living in the parts of the world where I have lived are not likely to get a vaccine and get vaccinated until well into 2023? On that, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We need you to show us the places we can be effective in bringing peace. We need you, Father, to give us the courage. We need you to give us the personal and collective resources. And then, Father, help remove those things that keep us from committing our will to doing them. May we this day, as we anticipate the arrival of a new pastor, may we this day commit ourselves to working with this pastor to bring peace to our church family, peace to our county, and peace in our world as you give us opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. I am grateful Brother David is going to come and help us with communion. And Belleville Hispanic, thank you for worshiping with us today. Um, I wish we could have had a party. I, 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 do you know of anything that's more peace-building than a party? Do you want me to read Thank you. Oh, yeah. Does everybody? Everybody has. Okay. Let me read the uh, manual of our church. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his suffering, his sacrificial death and resurrection and the hope of his coming again. It shows for the Lord dead until his return. The supper is a mean of grace in which Christ is presented by the Spirit. It is be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the word of Christ. All those who are truly repent, forsaken their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We came to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made only by the Spirit. In unite with the church, we confess our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen, Christ will come again. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Eat.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ set for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope, for the peace. Thank you for your sacrifice, death. And thank you for the redemption in our life. Thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for this time together to remember your love for us. Please help us to be obedient, to be truly believers and follow you faithful every day in our life. Bring upon us your Holy Spirit and guide us every day. We ask for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.